This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. And welcome to the brand new month of July, too. Escape is an American radio drama, radio's leading anthology series, as a matter of fact, for high-adventure radio dramas that aired on CBS from July of 1947 to September of 1954. Pretty good run. Since the program did not have a regular sponsor like, say, Suspense, it was subjected to frequent schedule shifts and lower production budgets, although Richfield Oil did sign on as a sponsor for five months in 1950. But despite these problems, Escape enthralled many listeners during its seven-year run. Many story premises, both original and adaptations, involved a protagonist in dire life-or-death straits, and the series featured more science fiction and supernatural tales than suspense. And now for tonight's show, entitled Tooth for Paul Revere. Set up with the everyday grind, tied out from the summer heat. Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are spurring a lathered horse through darkened streets, trapped by two hostile armies with a kit of magic in your pocket, and the American Revolution in the balance. Tonight, we escape to an earlier day and to the workshop of a famous wizard, as Stephen Vincent Benet told it in his delightful story, A Tooth for Paul Revere. Some say it all happened because of Hancock and Adams, and some put it back to the Stamp Act and before. Then there's some that hold out for Paul Revere and his little silver box. But the way I heard it, the American Revolution broke out because of Lige Butterwick and his tooth. My great-aunt was a Butterwick, and I heard it from her. Every now and then, she'd write it out and want to get it put in the history books, but they'd always put her off with some trifling sort of excuse. But the way she told it to us kids, sitting there before the flickering fire on some blustery, blowy night, it sounded spooky enough and wonderful enough to be as true as the Union. History books, bah. You don't get the right of things from such. In the story of a nation, it's the queer corners that count. The tales that get whispered down through families. Now take Paul Revere, for instance. All most folks think about is his riding a horse. But he was a silversmith by trade. There was a kind of magic in that hand of his. 
I could see just a little bit farther into the millstone than most folks. And in that little shop of his on those fateful nights, he sat over a miraculous flame and brewed the revolution in a silver teapot. And then he put it into a little silver box. No bigger than this. Yes, that's the way my great-aunt talked about Paul Revere. And the chills ran up our spines. But it takes all kinds to make a country, she used to say. And it isn't till the plain ones, like Lige Butterwick, get stirred up, that things really start to happen. Lige was just an ordinary sort of man, without special vision into a millstone. It might be a grand day in the history books, but for him it was just Tuesday. Till he read about it in the papers. Folks could argue and fret about Boston tea parties and British warships in Boston Harbor and British soldiers in Boston streets. But Lige Butterwick just tucked his tongue and wondered how the corn might stand this year on his farm outside Lexington, Massachusetts. One day, Lige Butterwick woke up with a toothache. The hot salt pack and the tansy tea his wife fixed for him didn't seem to help much. On the third day, Mrs. Butterwick tied a string to the tooth and Lige stood by the door. You ready? Uh-huh. <coughs> well? Marthy, when it came to the pinch, couldn't quite do it. So? That's how Lige Butterwick came to ride into Lexington, Massachusetts that day. He just had to see somebody about that tooth. And when he got there, the town was in an uproar. Lige! Lige Butterwick! Eh? Oh, good day to you, neighbor Williams. Lige, I didn't expect to see you here today. It's my tooth. Tooth? What do you mean? Uh, uh hi, a heart. Huh? Oh? Isn't it exciting? Exciting? The toothache? No, no, you idiot. All this. <laughs> Have you seen them yet? Seen who? Why, Hancock and Adams, of course. John Hancock and Sam Adams. They're at the Parson Clark's. Only folks who come here to see was the barber. Figure he's the only one who can do something for my tooth. Uh, you don't fool me, Lige. You're probably just as excited as I am. Have you cleaned your musket? Musket? Why, it's five months the hunting season yet. <laughs> That's where you're wrong, Lige. Looks like hunting season may be early this year. Huh? Keep your powder dry. Uh, huh? And so Lige Butterwick came to Lexington, and it was a great day for the history books. And to him, it was just Tuesday. And his tooth was jumping. And he went to see the barber as the likeliest man he knew to pull a tooth. But the barber took one look at it and shook his head. I can pull her out all right, Lige, but uh, she's got long roots and strong roots, and she's going to leave an awful gap when she's gone. Hmm, that's true. Now, what you really need, though it's caustic my business... One of these here artificial teeth to go there in the hole. Artificial teeth? Yeah. Uh, land of mercy, it's flying in the face of nature. Nothing of the kind, Lodge. Artificial teeth is all the go these days. Like some ought to keep up with the times. But I, it would do me no good to see you with an artificial tooth. Yes, indeed it would. It would do you good, but uh, supposing I did want one, how in Tunket would I get it in Lexington? Now, you just leave that all to me. I'd have to go into Boston, but I know just the man. Here, if I can find this... Yeah. 
Yeah, it had his prospectus here somewhere. Oh, no, oh, yeah, it's here. See here? Uh-huh. Fella called it in Boston that fixes him, and they say he's a boss workman. Okay. Yes, now you just listen to this here. Whereas many persons were so unfortunate as to lose their forties. Now, that's you, Lige. Oh, yeah. Uh, to their great detriment, not only in looks, but in speaking, both in public and private. This is to inform all sorts that they can have them uh, replaced by artificial ones. I see. That will look as well as the natural and answer the end of speaking to all intents. Hmm. Oh, yes, and then see, it goes on. Oh, his name. Yes, his name's right here. Uh, Paul Revere, Goldsmith, near the head of Dr. Clark's Wharf in Boston. Hmm. Sounds well enough, but... What's it going to cost? Oh, I, I know Revere. Comes through here pretty often, as a matter of fact. Does? Yes, and he's a decent fellow, even if he is a pretty big bug in son's liberty. Now, you just mentioned my name. Well, it's something I hadn't thought of, but in for penny, in for pound. Missed mm. a day's work already, and that tooth's got to come out before I go stock staring mad. But... What sort of man is this Revere, anyway? Oh, he's a regular wizard. Regular wizard with his tools. Wizard? Hmm. I don't know about wizards, but if he can fix my tooth, I'll call him one. So, Lige Butterwick got back on his horse and started for Boston. He rode through the busy, excited streets of Lexington, and when he came opposite the residence of Parson Clark... He saw a little crowd collecting, men staring, so he stopped his horse for a moment and looked. Mister, is that them? Is it who, son? Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams, sir. There, through the window. Tall, handsome man and the short man with a face like a bulldog. Hmm, I wouldn't know, son. They're strangers to me. Get out. When he got to Boston, he began to feel queer. And it wasn't only his tooth. He hadn't been there for four years, and he'd expected to find it changed, but it wasn't that either. The sky was clear and beautiful, but Lige felt like there was thunder in the air. It was uncanny. And the people, there'd been little knots of them on the corners, but when you came up to them, they seemed to melt away. Or they'd look at you and stop talking. And then he came to the harbor. Out there in the port of Boston, riding black and grim to the British warships. He'd known they'd be there, of course, but it was different somehow, seeing them with their guns pointed in at the town. Suddenly he felt uncomfortable. Felt he'd like to turn and go home. But he was hungry, and so he went to a tavern for a bite. <coughs> uh, good day to you. What may I do for you, stranger? Uh, just a bite and a sup, if you're serving. I have a seat. You'll be served. Thank you. Uh, nice weather we're having these days. It's bitter weather for Boston. Uh, well, <laughs> now, maybe for Boston, but out in the country, we'd call it good planting weather. I guess maybe I was mistaken in you. It is good planting weather. For some kind of trees. Trees. Well, now, I suppose you're right about that. That's so. And what kind of trees would you be thinking of? There's trees and trees, you know. Uh, well, uh, now that you ask you me, You meant I... the Liberty Tree. And may it soon be watered in the blood of tyrants. Now, the Royal Oak of England and God save King George and loyalty! Adam, boys! Hey, stop! I didn't miss... Hmm. <laughs> 
Glory. I always heard city folks were crazy. But politics must be getting serious in these American colonies when they start fighting about trees. Oh. Aye. And it is, friend. So they threw you out, too? Yes, blast them. But I want to shake your hand. Nobly done, friend. I'm glad to find another true-hearted man loyal to the crown in this pestilent, rebellious city. Well, I don't know as I quite agree with you about that. But I came here to get my tooth fixed, not to talk about politics. And as long as you've spoken so pleasant, I wonder if you could help me out. You see, I'm from Lexington Way, and I'm uh, looking for a fellow named Paul Revere. Paul Revere? No, so it's Paul Revere you want, my worthy and ingenious friend from the country. Well, I'll tell you how to find him. Good, I thank you. You go up to the first British soldier you see and ask the way, but uh, you'd better give the password first. Password? Yes, you say to that British soldier... Any lobsters for sale today? And then you ask about Revere. Uh, but uh, why do I talk about lobsters first? Well, you see, the British soldiers wear red coats, so they like being asked about lobsters. Uh. Just try it and see. <laughs> Just try it, my friend, and see. Uh, pardon me, sir. Uh, do you have any lobsters for sale today? What? How dare you seize that man? Uh, Barrow, place to hide. They've gone past. Oh. Oh, yes, thank you. Nice. <clears throat> Look at your clothes. That was a tar barrel you jumped into. Yes, I'm a sight. What were they chasing you for? I really don't know. Guess I didn't give the right password. Password? Yes, but all the same, I don't think soldiers ought to act like that when you ask them a civil question. But city folks are soldiers. They can't make a fool out of me. I came here to get my tooth fixed and get it fixed at will if I have to surprise the whole British kingdom to do it. Good for you, sir. Uh, can I be of any help to you? Ah, you can, boy. Uh, tell me where I may find the silversmith, Paul Revere. Oh, that's easy. Right before your eyes. There's a sign hanging down by the wharf, and that's his shop. I work there. Well, now, those soldiers did me a good turn after all. Come on, boy, now maybe I'll get my tooth fixed. Butterwick was in the shop of Paul Revere, silversmith, goldsmith, jack-of-all-trades, sculpturer of artificial teeth, brewer of revolutions, wizard. The shop itself was small and dark, with mysterious shadows lurking in the corners and the back. It was crammed full of the wondrous products of its owner's skillful hand, gold and silver objects of great beauty. Prince of Boston and caricatures of the British. Odd boxes and bottles filling the shelves. At this particular moment, it was also full of customers. And Lige Butterwick, with the cautious shyness of the countryman, sank back into a corner seat out of the way and watched as Paul Revere waited on several customers. And the last of these was a grand lady who looked like a I rate turkey goblin. Oh, Master Revere, I am so disappointed. When I took the things from the box, I could just have cried. It's I who am disappointed, madam. What was the trouble? Must have been carelessly packed. Was it badly dented? No. I'll speak to the boy. No, no, it wasn't dented. 
But I wanted a really impressive silver service, something I can use when the, the governor comes to dine with us. I certainly paid for the best. And what have you given me? I've given you the best work of which I'm capable, madam. It was in my hands for six months. And I think they're capable hands. Oh, I know you are a, a competent artisan, Master uh, Silver. Smith, ma'am. Well, I don't care please. what you call it. I know I wanted a real service, something I could show my friends. And what have you given me? Oh, it's silver if you choose. But it's just as plain as a picket fence. <laughs> Simple. Plain. You pay me high compliments, madam. Mm, compliments indeed. I'll send it back tomorrow. Why, there isn't as much as a lion or a unicorn on the cream jug. And I told you I wanted the sugar bowl covered with silver grapes. But you've given me something as bare as the hills of New England. And I won't stand it, I tell you. I'll send to London instead. Send away, madam. We're making new things in this country. New men. New silver. Perhaps who knows a new nation. Plain, simple, bare as the hills and rocks of New England. Graceful as the boughs of elm trees. If my silver were only like that indeed, that's what I wish to make it. As for you, madam, with your lions and unicorns and grape leaves and your nonsense of bad ornamentation done by bad silversmiths, your imported bad taste and your imported British manners, puff what? away with you. Puff, puff, puff. Why, why, you never... Puff, I say. Oh. <laughs> William? Yes, sir. <laughs> Put up the shutters. We're closing for the day. Uh, oh, William, no word yet from Dr. Warren? Not yet, sir. <clears throat> yeah, what's that? Well, who are you there in the corner? Well, Mr. Vare. It is Mr. Vare, isn't it? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, it's a kind of a long story, but uh, closing or not, you got to listen to me. The barber told me so. The barber? You see, I'm Lige Butterwick, and it's my tooth. Yeah, tooth. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, uh, you'd better begin at the beginning. Uh, oh, but wait now. Here, you don't talk like a Boston man. Where'd you come from? Oh, around Lexington Way. And you Lexington? Were you there this morning? Well, of course I was. That's where the barber... I Never mind about the barber. Were Miss Hancock and Mr. Adams still at Parson Clark's? Well, uh, they might have been, for all I know. But I couldn't say. Great heaven, is there a man in the American colonies who don't know Miss Hancock and Mr. Adams? Well, there seems to be me. But uh, speaking of strangers, there was two of them staying at the parsonage when I rode past. One was a handsome man. The other man uh, looked more like a bulldog. So they are still there. And the British ready to march. Did you see many soldiers as you came to my shop, Mr. Butterwick? See them. They chased me into a tar barrel. Was a whole parcel of them by the common with guns and flags. Looked as if they meant business. Thank you, Mr. Berwick. You're a shrewd observer. You've done me and the colonies an invaluable service. Well, that's nice to know, but uh, speaking of this, too... <laughs> You're a stubborn man, Mr. Berwick. All the better. I like stubborn men. I wish we had more of them. Well, one good turn serves another. You've helped me. I'll do my best for you. I've made artificial teeth, but drawing them is hardly my trade. All the same, let's have a look. Here, come over here by the light. Aye. And now, open. Ah. Yeah. Well, Mr. Butterwick, it appears to be compound agglutinated infraction of the upper molar. Oh. And I'm afraid I can't do anything about it tonight. Uh, but, but, uh, 
here's a draft that will ease the pain for a while. There. Drink. It's, um, it's spicy and, uh, queer. <laughs> Never mind. Now you go to a tavern in a night's rest. Come back see me in the morning. I'll find a truth drawer for you. If I'm here. Oh, yes, uh, you must have some liniment. Uh, that's a queer kind of shop you have here, Mr. Bear. <laughs> some folks think so. Say, uh, what's in that little bottle? Where? Oh, there. That's a little chemical experiment of mine. I call it Essence of Boston. But there's a good deal of the East Wind. Essence of Boston? Well, they did say you was a wizard. It's genuine magic, I suppose. Genuine magic, of course. And here. Here's the march with your liniment. Shit, no, no. Not that one. This one. Ah, thank you. Uh, but that other little box I had, the little silver one with the stars on it and the elm tree. Oh, yes. You like it? Pick it up. Mighty pretty work. Thank you. My own design. Thirteen stars there. See them? Uh-huh. You could make a very pretty design with stars. For a new country, say. If you wanted to. I've sometimes thought of it. But, um, what's in the box? It feels queer. What's in it? What's in the air? Founders. Gunpowder. War. Making of a new nation. It's time isn't right yet. Not quite right. You mean that this here revolution that folks keep talking about? Yes. In this box? Glory be. Master Avia, it's come, it's come. The message from Dr. Warren. William, my riding boots. Now, hurry, I must be off. Sorry, Mr. Butterwick, but I must rush. Take your liniment and come back tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Thank you, I, If I'm back tomorrow, I'll help you. Yes, sir. Good day, sir. Good day. It wasn't till Lige Butterwick was alone in his room at the tavern where he was to stay the night that he realized what he had done. In the bustle and haste of leaving Mr. Revere's shop, he had picked up the wrong box. Instead of the box of liniment, he held in his hand the little silver box with the thirteen stars upon it. He hadn't quite believed Mr. Revere when he talked about the box. But then, everything had seemed so almighty queer since he'd arrived in Boston. And his tooth ached, and his head felt light. And he, being human, was curious. He looked for a keyhole. But there was none. The box wouldn't open. He shook it. Suddenly, he felt warm. As if the something alive inside it. He held it to his ear. Great Godfrey. Now, Lige Butterwick was feeling scared. But he was feeling kind of good, too. And then he found out that he was talking to himself. Well, I'm not a Britisher. I'm a New Englander. And maybe there's something beyond that. Something people like Hancock and Adams know about. 
And if it has to come with a revolution, well, I guess it has to come. Can't stay British as forever here in this country. But what am I going to do with this box? Too big a job for one man. Guess I'll have to take this back to Paul Revere. First, he went to the little shop on Clark's Wharf. But it was closed up tight. And it was a while before he could rouse anyone. Then it was the boy, William, who opened the door. Oh, it's you. Well, Master Revere isn't here. But I've got to find him. Can you tell me where he's gone? Why do you want to know? Got something for him. He needs it. You wouldn't be a spy for the British now, would you? A spy? Me? Well, and what is it you got for him? This box. Little silver box. Took it by mistake. Think it's important. The box? By the flag, it isn't important. But he's gone. Gone to one the Patriots as the British are coming. Uh, which way, boy? Which way did he go? Uh, across the river. Uh, to Charlestown. All right, thank you, boy. I'll be following. No, you don't get any boats for me. There was a crazy man long here an hour ago, and he wanted a boat, too. My husband was crazy enough to take him. And then do you know what he did? No, ma'am. He made my husband take my best petticoat to muffle the oars so they wouldn't splash when they passed that Britisher ship. My best petticoat, mind you. Huh. When my husband comes back, he's going to get a piece of my mind. Uh, was his name Paul Revere? Was he a man of 40-odd, keen-looking, kind of Frenchy? Don't know what his right name is, but his name's Mud with me. My best petticoat tore into strips and swimming in that nasty river. Uh, thank you, ma'am. I'll get a boat elsewhere. Mr. Butterwick, sir, be careful. Your own is right under the stern of a British man of war. Don't worry, I see it. Please, Mr. Butterwick, shh. Oi, there! Do, Mr. I guess not. Thought I had a boat. Be careful, Mr. Butterwick. All right, boy. Revere, he's been going an hour. Gone? Gone where? Riding to Lexington to warn Hancock and Adams as soon as he spied the lights up there in the North Church. I've got to catch him. It's this box. He's got to have it. Where can I get a horse? Right over here. Come on. Through the darkened streets of Charlestown, he rode on into the black of the countryside. Once he got lost, but he found his way again and rode on. It was just dawn as he came inside of Lexington, and the dew was glistening on the green of the April grass. But Lige Butterwick didn't notice the beauty of the dawn. The little silver box was hot now and burning in his pocket. And then suddenly he reined in his horse. For there on the road were two men carrying a trunk, and one of them was Paul Revere. Well, Mr. Fair, say I'm on time for that little appointment about my tooth. Well, um, <laughs> you, you are a stubborn man, Mr. Butterwick. Ah, oh, well, but uh, you give me a merry chase all night. I've had one myself. Been captured by the British once and escaped. Don't know what's still in store for me, but we're carrying a precious cargo here in this trunk. We're bringing to safety all the private papers of Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams. Uh, which reminds me, I've uh, something for you here. Silver box. You've got the silver box. I, by mistake, and it's getting frightfully hot in my hand. Yes, my friend, and a little wonder. Across there, Lexington Green. The green? 
Why, there's a line of Lexington men. And there across the creek, facing them, there's a column of British redcoats. They lined up with guns, they are, Mr. Butterweek. They've come to arrest Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams, and the Minutemen stand before them. Mr. Fair, I'm a peaceable man. I've had little notion of politics. But I don't like what I saw in Boston. I don't like soldiers chasing peaceable citizens into tar barrels or uppity ladies with imported British manners. And I don't like British redcoats on Lexington Green. That I don't. Mr. Bedwick, what are you doing? I'm stamping on your silver box, Mr. Revere. I'm breaking it open. Do you know what you've done? You've let out the American Revolution. Look, they've fired the first shots. Well, I guess it's about time. And I guess I'd better be going now. Uh, but, Mr. Bedwick, where are you going? Home. Got a musket on the wall there. I'll be needing it. Uh, but here, what about your tooth? Oh, a tooth's just a tooth. But a country's a country. Anyhow, doesn't ache anymore. Escape, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight brought to you A Tooth for Paul Revere by Stephen Vincent Benet. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel and featuring Harry Bartell as Lige Butterwick, Parley Bear as Paul Revere, and Barry Kroger as the narrator. Special music by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, you are deep in a fabulous cavern in a mountain, surrounded by a horde of angry natives from a lost world held the mercy of the most beautiful woman in the world, the terrible queen called She. Next week, we escape with H. Ryder Haggard's famous story, She. Good night, then, until the same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. Stay tuned for Lucille Ball, starring in My Favorite Husband, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that talented redhead Lucille Ball to get involved with, what's this, a green wig? Yeah, that's what it says right here, a green wig. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. Yes, it's the Gay Family Series, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Brought to you by the Jell-O family of desserts. J-E-L-L-O, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. That's Jell-O. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O puddings. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O tap. Bioka pudding. And now Lucille Ball with Richard Denning as Liz and George Cooper. Two people who live together and like it. As we look in on the Cooper household this morning, George Cooper is seated at the breakfast table. Katie, the maid, is in the kitchen singing happily, and Liz has just tiptoed softly downstairs and into the kitchen. Oh, what a beautiful morning! Oh, what a beautiful day! I got a wonderful feeling. Oh, Mrs. Cooper, it's you. I was afraid my lungs had sprung a leak. (laughs) 
Not so loud, Katie. I don't want George to hear me. Uh-oh. What did you go underground for this time? Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. George is blaming me for something I didn't do. Well, that's not fair. What didn't you do? Save any money last year. <laughs> oh. It's the same thing every year. He starts figuring up accounts for the income tax people and tries to find out why all our money has drained away. What did he find out? Shake hands with the leak in the dike. <laughs> he expects to review all my 1949 accounts the first thing this morning. Well, maybe he's forgotten. No, not George. He has the memory of an elephant. Liz, is that you? Uh, come on in the breakfast room. Yeah, there's Dumbo now. <laughs> Coming, dear. Well, have fun. Good morning, George. Good morning, honey. Well, Liz, we just have time to go over your accounts before I go to the bank. George, let's let bygones be bygones. Start off with a clean slate, huh? Why cry over spilt money? <laughs> no, Liz. I'm going to show you the value of bookkeeping. Now, last January, I, I gave you a little black budget book, and you promised you'd keep it religiously all year. And I did. So, now I can just simply look in the book and find out what you've been spending. Oh, you can, huh? <laughs> well, certainly. Uh, where is it? Uh, it's right here in the buffet drawer. Here. You see, now, now, I don't want to accuse you unjustly, so if this budget shows you've been... Liz, this book is blank. I thought you said you kept it. I did. I kept it right there in that drawer. <laughs> oh, Liz. I even kept it religiously. Every month I prayed you wouldn't ask to see it. <laughs> Elizabeth, I'm ashamed of it. Not one single entry in this whole book. There is two. You're looking at the back of the book. Now look toward the front. Hmm. Well, let's see. Uh, December, November, October, September. Keep going. August, July, June. Keep going. May, April, March, February. Try January. <laughs> Thanks. Do you mean to say that you only kept an account of your expenses for one month? No. Well, what then? One week. <laughs> oh, that's the last straw of all the dopey now, things that... Now, George, there's no need getting excited. All you need is that one week. What? If you want to find out how much I spent during the year, you just multiply the one week by 65. <laughs> 65? 56? Twenty-four? Uh, well, the number of weeks in a year. Never mind. Now, let's take a look at this fateful week in the little black book. Yeah. Expenses for week ending January 8th, 1949. January 1st, newsboy, 50 cents. Cleaning, $1. Toothpaste, 39 cents. Miscellaneous, $180. <laughs> what in the world is miscellaneous? Miscellaneous, you know, rent, food, telephone, gas, electric, that stuff. Oh, that stuff. Yeah. Uh. Well, that's enough from the book, George. You'll be late for the bank. Now, wait a minute. What's this item here? GTL, $10. What, what is GTL? Oh, that. Oh, that's a little joke of mine. I, it's a code for my visits to the beauty parlor. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, what does the GTL stand for? Uh, gilding the lily. <laughs> well, I told you it was a joke. 
I guess it's not very funny. I'll say it isn't. If you spend $10 a week, that's $520 a year in the beauty parlor. Oh, now, George, you're not going to ask me to give that up. I certainly am. And we've got to cut down somewhere, Liz. But why there? Can't we start somewhere else? Sure, we can cut out some miscellaneous, like rent and groceries. Okay. <laughs> Liz? But, George, women need to go to the beauty parlor. Well, maybe other women, but it's just a waste of money for you to go. What? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you're so pretty, it's a waste of money. Uh, you know, gilding the lily, like you said. Yeah, you certainly got out of that one. <laughs> Liz, when, when we first got married, you, you did your own nails and you washed your own hair. Well, you could still do it. I can't think of one good reason for you to go to a beauty parlor at all. You can't? No. <laughs> well, George, I've never told you this before. And I hope you won't be disillusioned, but my hair isn't naturally red. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. And if I don't have it fixed every week, some strange things are liable to happen on top of my noggin. You don't say. Yes. This glorious sunset will fade and night will fall on my scalp. Well, I've got news for you. Let it go back to its natural color. I liked it that way. You did? Yes. It was a very pretty shade of... Well, sort of a... Hey, what color was it? See, you can't even remember. Well, for your information, George Cooper, the girl you married had hair that was... It was sort of, um... <laughs> Gee, I can't remember myself. Well, this is a good time to find out. Let it grow in. Oh, George, you're not serious. <laughs> Certainly am. This year, we're going to save that $10 a week. But I've got an appointment at Sally's this morning. Can't the old Lily have one last gilding? <laughs> no, Liz. We've got to cut down, and we've got to start right now. Well, how come we're cutting down with my hair? Oh, don't worry, Liz. I'm not asking you to do anything that, that I'm not doing. George, you're not going to stop dyeing your hair, too. <laughs> no, Smarty. I canceled my membership in the athletic club. Oh. <laughs> and it's all settled. You stay out of the beauty parlor, and I'll stay out of the athletic club. And this time next year, we'll have plenty of money. What good will it do? I'll never see it. Why not? You'll be too flabby to carry it in the house, and I'll be too ugly to go outside and look at it. <laughs> Mrs. Cooper, why have you been sitting there staring into the mirror all morning? I'm just trying to imagine what I'll look like in six months. <laughs> What's the matter? I just remembered what color my hair really is. <laughs> Light brown muckledy dun. <laughs> muckledy what? Muckledy dun. <laughs> That's what my grandmother used to call any tan color that didn't have the guts to be brown. <laughs> Oh, Katie, I can't face it. I've got to keep that appointment with Sally. If I leave now, I can just make it. But you promised, Mr. Cooper. I can't help it. No woman in her right mind could keep that promise. I'll save the money by giving up something that's not as important, like eating. 
Well, what if he catches you? I'll plead temporary insanity. Sally's Beauty Salon, Sally speaking. Yes, ma'am, I can take you this afternoon, shampoo and set. Do you want our weekly special of beer rinse? <laughs> That's right, beer. Our slogan this week is have a beer rinse and put a head on your hair. <laughs> I got, uh, hello? Hello? <laughs> she hung up. No sense of humor. Oh, uh, pardon me. You're Sally, aren't you? Yeah. You're Mr. Cooper. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I wonder if you do me a favor. Oh, sure, Mr. Cooper. I'll squeeze you in. What do you want, a touch-up? <laughs> no. Uh, look, uh, Mrs. Cooper has an appointment this morning, hasn't she? Yeah, she ought to be here any minute. Well, well I want to surprise her. Oh, isn't that cute? You two are still in love, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Uh, which booth will she be in? Oh, that one behind you. Yeah, well, well, don't tell her I'm here. I'll just hide behind the curtain. Okay. Oh, when she sees you, she'll die. <laughs> You can say that again. <laughs> Sally! I'm back here, dearie. Uh, now, remember, not a word. Okay. Am I late, Sally? No. Go on in the booth. Sally, come here a minute. Sally, as far as you're concerned, I'm not here, see? What do you mean? <laughs> well, I promised my husband this morning that I wouldn't be coming here anymore. Oh. Uh, Mrs. Cooper, in the Ooth Bay... What? In the Ooth Bay. What are you trying to say? In the Ooth Bay. Oh, George! <laughs> oh, gee. I, I, I tried to tell you, Mrs. Cooper. Well, um, I, I got a mud pack in Booth, too. I'll go chip it off. <laughs> oh, Liz. I was hoping I wouldn't find you here. Well, you certainly came to the wrong place. You didn't want to find me. Why did you come sneaking around where I said I wouldn't be? <laughs> Sit down, Liz. I want to talk to you. This morning at breakfast, you said you wouldn't come down here. You lied to me. I did not. How do you figure that? My bacon was crossed. That doesn't matter. Well, if you're going to make your own rules... Liz, if you're going to act like a child, I'll, I'll treat you like one. Now, from now on, I'm handling all the finances in this family. I'll pay all the bills and handle all the cash. But, George... If you want to be a baby, you can be one. Now, now give me your checkbook. Oh, George... All right. Now your change. Come on, give. And I'll just take this along. Oh, no, not that, George. Hand it over. But it's an heirloom. My grandmother gave me that charger plate. <laughs> Hand it over. Now, have I forgotten anything? Yes, you forgot to hold me up by my heels and shake me. Well, three days have elapsed since George Cooper stamped Liz no funds. And now we find Liz desperately trying to figure out where she can find some money. Mrs. Cooper, what on earth are you doing to that couch? I'm looking for money under the cushions. 
<laughs> you know, after George takes a nap here, it's like panning for gold. Any luck? Oh, I got a big haul. Three bobby pins, a nail file, a thimble, and half a sandwich. <laughs> My goodness, what kind of a sandwich? Peanut butter and lint. <laughs> you might as well relax, Mrs. Cooper. After all, you can get money for anything you really need. Yeah, except the beauty parlor. You know what I'm going to do, Katie? I'm going to get a green wig and tell him I dyed my own hair and it came out that color. Oh, no, that's pretty drastic, Mrs. Cooper. Um, just wait. Um, maybe he'll get tired of having you run to him every time you want money. Yeah. Maybe I can help him get tired. <laughs> help him? Yes, I'm going down to the bank, Katie. George will be sorry he ever started this. Did you want to see me, Mr. Atterbury? Yes, yes, George boy. Add this column of figures for me, will you? I'm not a well man. I've got a headache and my eyes are jumpy. Is there anything I can do? No, no, there's nothing anyone can do. I've got a television hangover. <laughs> uh, what was on? Nothing. <laughs> Wasn't a thing on that I'd spend two minutes looking at. Well, how long did you watch it? Six hours. <laughs> I hated myself the whole time. Well, why didn't you turn it off? You can't help yourself, boy. It hypnotizes you. Sit down to watch Ed win, and six hours later, you find yourself sending in for a Hopalong Cassidy hat. <laughs> yeah, I guess television really gets you. Well, I'll uh, add those figures for you. Uh, no, no, let's add them together. That way we're bound to be right. Yeah, all right. Uh, five and four are nine, and eight is 17, and four is 21. Hi, fellas. Liz, what, what are you doing here? Pardon me, George, but I have to see you a minute. Uh, this is Miss Finley. Miss Finley, this is my husband. How do you do, Mr. Cooper? And this is my husband's boss, Mr. Atterbury. How do you do, Mr. Atterbury? How do you do? Well, he's a grumpy old codger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no wonder. He's got liver spots. Your liver out of whack, mister? <laughs> Liz, what do you want? Well, George, since you're paying all the bills, I don't have any money, and... I just took a book back to Miss Finley's lending library, and I owe her for it. So all I... right, all right. I'll give her a check. How much is it, Miss Finley? Fourteen cents. <laughs> Liz? She took it out a week ago at three o'clock, and it's one minute to three now. I believe you. Here's your... Uh, Mr. Atterbury, have you got two pennies? George? I'm not well. <laughs> My nerve. But, but I, I've got to give her 14 cents. It's 16 cents now. <laughs> Past three o'clock. New day, you know. Well, here's 20 cents. Now get out of here. Well, my goodness, we're going. Yes, goodbye, George. We'll get changed for that dime, Miss Finley. You can give me the four cents he overpaid you. <laughs> Look, Mr. Atterbury, I, I can explain. Never mind. You see, what... never, never mind. Never mind, George. Let's just get these figures added. Uh, yes, sir. But where were we? At the beginning. Mm. Five and four and nine. And eight makes seventeen. 
but I owe Mr. Lefty some money. This is my husband, Mr. Cooper. Hello, Cupid. <laughs> Cupid? I'm losing my grip on reality. <laughs> oh, well, don't mind Lefty. He likes to give people nicknames. Uh, this is Mr. Atterbury, my husband's boss. I'd love to know you, Atterbaby. <laughs> Liz, will you get out of here? Not until we pay Mr. Lefty. How much? Same thing the Tribune's always been. Three cents. <laughs> Here. Thanks. You want a paper, Cupid? No. Well, how about you, Mr. Rutabaga? <laughs> My name is Adababy. Rutabaga. Yabababy. Slavishnacky. Get out of here! Say, 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 you don't have to get so huffy-puffy. <laughs> what kind of a bank is this? I'm ashamed to sh share the same color with you, please. Paper, Tribune, paper, Tribune. <laughs> Come here, Liz. Put down that paperweight. Give it to me, George. I'm a better shot. <laughs> Mr. Atterbury, I'm terribly sorry about these interruptions, but George insists there's nothing I can do. Liz, there's something you can do if you know what's good for you. Now get out of here and don't come back with any more silly bills. Then give me some money. No. All right, George, you asked for it. I'm going to go home and dye my own hair. I don't care if you shave your head. Oh, no, no. That's how everybody looks on television. <laughs> well, just don't be surprised when you see me again. Goodbye, Cupid. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Uh, I dare you. <laughs> Rudaberry. Get a baggie! Get out of here! Well, that's the last time, sir. Now, now let's get back to these figures. Well, wait till the column comes round again. Uh, now, do you, do you remember where we were? Yes. Uh, Fourteen hundred and... Uh, Fourteen hundred and... Uh, five and four are nine, nine and eight are seventeen, seventeen and four. Good afternoon. May I help you? Yes. Um, I'd like to buy a wig. Well, that's what we sell. Now, what did you have in mind? Blonde, brunette, or redhead? Green. <laughs> yes, madam, I'll... I, I beg your pardon... Did you say green? Yes, I'd like a green wig. Do you have one? Yes, I... I think we have one. Do you mind if it has a false nose attached to it? <laughs> well, I guess it is a rather unusual request. You see, I want to surprise my husband. It'll be a shock, but it'll do him good. Drinker, eh? <laughs> No. Uh, may I please see a green wig? 
Something about the color of this dress I have on. All right. What size wig? I don't know. Well, just slip off that one you have on and we'll look inside. (laughs) This is my own hair. Come on, lady. You don't have to be embarrassed in front of me. Take it off. Listen, if I take my hair off, my head comes with it. This belongs to me. Give me two pulls. <laughs> Look, will you give me that wig or not? Okay, okay. Wait a minute. Here, try this one. There's a mirror right behind you there. All right. Oh, look. With this green dress and the green hair, I look like I'm peeking out of a pickle. (laughs) And eight makes $753,259.34. We're finished. My nerves were about to snap. Yeah, it was quite a strain, wasn't it? Well, write it down, boy. Write it down. We don't want to lose that number after all this. Hi, fellas. Oh, no. Liz. But you... Your... Your hair. I knew it. I knew it. It finally got me. It looks like Liz has green hair. (laughs) Oh, Liz, what sort of joke is this? It's no joke, George. My hair is really this color. Oh, no. And it's all your fault. I tried to dye my hair at home and something went wrong. Oh, but but, but how, how did it get green? Well, I didn't have any henna, so I used Easter egg dye. <laughs> well, the doctor said, Atterbury, if you don't slow down, you're going to crack up. That's what he said. <laughs> oh, Liz, you, you look awful. You think I look awful now? You should have seen me before I washed the chickies and the bunnies off my forehead. <laughs> I'll just go away for a few weeks. That's my goodness, Mr. Atterbury, your face matches my wig. <laughs> I've been sick. Oh, now take that thing off, Liz. Uh, Mr. Atterbury, I know this looks, looks ridiculous, but, but I, I can explain. But never mind the explanations, George. Not now. I'm going home and lie down. At least we got those figures straightened out. You did write that number down, didn't you? Number? The number, the number. The, you wrote it down. You wrote it down, didn't you? Uh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I can't put up with this. You see, George, this all happened because you wouldn't let me go to the beauty parlor. Now can I go? No, you can't. Pardon me, sir. What? Would you take me to Hopalong, Cassidy, please? <laughs> he needs me. Needs you? Yes. I'm his horse. Oh, now you've done it, Liz. He snapped his twig. Oh, come on, Mr. Atterbury. I'll take you home. I'll help. You will not. You're not leaving here till you get the right answer to that column of figures. Me? Figures? Start adding. Now, come on, Mr. Atterbury. Oh, five and four are seven. And eight is... Thirteen and six is twenty-two. (laughs) 
Yes, Lucille, where away tonight? Tonight, Robert, you are an archaeologist who has just discovered some ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. A little Egyptian music, Wilbur, something like my mummy done told me. Oh, if I only knew what these hieroglyphics say, but no one has ever been able to read them. Pardon me, my friend, but I can help you, I think. <laughs> Who are you? I am the ghost of an ancient Egyptian. My grandfather was King Tut, and my father was King Tut Tut. <laughs> and I am Princess Ah. Hey, wait a minute. You sound Mexican. I know I do. Well, how come? Who knows what an Egyptian sounds like? <laughs> well, this is a great moment for science. I said this is a great moment for science. Gee. What do you know about those hieroglyphics on the wall? I wrote them. Can you read them? No, I never learned how to read. <laughs> well, look, will you try? Yes, gee. First, there's a little box with big red letters on it. Gee. Does that stand for jello? It better. <laughs> well, what's next? The uh, six delicious flavors? Oh, gee, strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, and lemon. <laughs> and uh, I can't read the next word. Is it obliterated? No, I think it's lime. <laughs> that's amazing. What you say? I said that's amazing. No, I think it's lime. <laughs> no, look, I mean the message. It must go on to say that Jello makes you think of the real ripe fruit itself. Oh. And the flavor is locked in by a special process so it can't get out till your first delectable spoonful. That is right. 2,000 years ago, we liked all six delicious flavors. <laughs> Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and amazing. <laughs> no. Obliterated? <laughs> no. I'm only kidding. I knew it all the time. Good night. <laughs> Be sure to listen to Lucille Ball and My Favorite Husband again next week, presented by... J-E-L-L Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family That's Jell-O Yum, yum, yum Jell-O pudding Yum, yum, yum Jell-O cat The Oka pudding Jell-O This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we'll wrap up the week with Gunsmoke, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.